Have you ever met someone who understands color and chemistry so well that it blows your mind? Enter Julie, the incredible brain and creator of Colors with Chemistry. On this episode of the Coffee and Foils podcast, we dive deep into the backstory of how Julie's knowledge of color came about, her hunger for always learning more, her advice to baby stylists who want to expand their understanding of color theory and chemistry, her opinion on bond builders, and so much more. If you're a color theory nerd like I am, or even if you've ever picked up a color brush, keep listening because this is an episode you do not want to miss. Welcome back to the Coffee and Foils podcast. Today, I have a very special guest that I've been super excited to have on. What I am trying to do on this podcast is bring forward some of my passions to help uh, the people who are new in the industry or maybe who have been in the industry for a really long time and they're getting stuck. So one of my passions always lies in color theory. And I thought, who better to bring on than Julie from the account Colors with Chemistry, which is probably how everybody knows her, I think. So today we're going to talk about what brought her here and what people can do to learn more about it and incorporate color theory into their everyday practices as hairstylists. So Julie, thank you so much for coming. I'm so honored to have you on. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for asking me. It's my honor. And thank you so much for saying yes. <laughs> I I was talking to you before we began a little bit about how I read your story and it's kind of crazy. And so you don't have to tell the whole story if you don't want to, but can you give the listeners a little bit of background as to how you got to where you are? I know you got kind of a late start in the industry and things like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm going to try to do it quickly. So like I was telling you right before we recorded, um, I'm originally a Jersey girl and I actually, this is actually pretty funny. The, the way this happened is, is seriously crazy. I was doing really well. Of course, I was in all these, you know, up-level advanced classes, you know, all of that good stuff. And so then the next movement for me in junior year was to go to chemistry. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> that, I don't, don't want to have anything to do with chemistry. So I literally ran from the chemistry class. But by that time, I was like, okay, what's left? There wasn't a lot of classes left that I could take. And one of them was interior design. And I was like, well, whatever, I'll do it. Um, So I jumped into this class and I wasn't an art girl. I didn't really love art class. But when I came into interior design and I started learning about the color wheel and how you can implement it with different aspects of art, like you can use it rather than just painting a painting, which I never felt like I was good at, but I could get it when it came to like interior design. So I literally fell in love with this whole aspect of art I never knew existed. And so I loved the teacher that taught it. So she had another class and it was um, sewing. And so I started to just follow her. I started sewing, I got into fashion, I got into color and it shifted my entire perspective. I was gonna go to marketing and do my field hockey, sport into college and and it literally shifted me. And so um, the next year they had fashion merchandising. And so I was like all the way I'm going to fashion school. I got W magazine, like I was on it, shifted the way I dressed, all of that. So the next year um, after I graduated, I went to FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology in Manhattan and loved it. But I lived so close to the city 
that I couldn't get housing at the school. I had to commute. And you know, you're up, you're up north, you get it. The commute 30 minutes away becomes an hour. And yeah. so, yes. And so when I was 18, I'm commuting and then getting off and walking 12 blocks to FIT, right? And so, which was fine, except all my friends were having a great time and they're in traditional schools. And I was like, what am I doing? And then the winter hit. And you know what that's like up there. I remember being on a bus and I'm thinking, why are we on the bus? It's snowing. They should have called school. I thought the bus was going to flip over. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Literally, I th- literally, that was like my 18-year-old brain going, I'm done. And so I shifted and I wound up coming down to Georgia. And at that point, they didn't have fashion merchandising or anything like that that I could jump into. So I was like, what is close that is business, but also creative? And I actually wound up going into the music business. So my degree is Bachelor of Science in Music Industry, which is so wild, right? But in the midst of all that, somebody asked me if I would go work with teenagers in their church and become um, the, the, the guide or whatever for some of the girls. And so I didn't have a lot of connection when I was young. So it's, of course, I was like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> so I did that for eight years and just got my degree to get me by. And then things with that ended eight years later. And at that time I had two kids and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with myself? And a friend of mine who I went to college with was working at a salon that I actually wound up going to a few times and they needed help. So I was like, well, sure. I need a sanity job. I have two kids, you know, and I'm like, give me a sanity job. And I loved it. I worked at the desk there for four years and immediately they asked me if I wanted to apprentice, which I had no idea what that was, but I was like, yeah, probably not. It was 45 minutes away from where I lived. Right. So if you do that, you know, you're full time, you don't see your family, that kind of thing. So I said, no, for four years, I remember people saying, would you want to be a hairdresser? And I remember looking at the hairdresser and watching the stress, right. That they would go through. And I was like, no, I don't want it. And funny that four years later, I was in a whole different place. And I finally said, yes, at that point, my girls were going into middle school. And so I was like, oh, it'll be fine. They don't need me as much, which is hilarious to any parents listening. That's actually the opposite, but whatever. I did actually do um, hairdressing and trained as an apprentice. So I did not go to hair school. I I basically say everybody feels this way, but I, I feel like it was trial by fire. And I literally jumped in when I was apprenticing, had a chair and watched everything stood there did all the like everybody knows but it was 3000 hours instead of maybe the 15 or 1800 hours um, which i am so grateful for i wouldn't have had it any other way and i loved what i was able to do um so many things i feel like was a benefit for for being an apprentice in that way but that's the the short of it on how i actually got into this business Well, considering how many years you just covered, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> bravo in condensing that story. And it, I find it really to be truly fascinating. I mean, think of how many turns your career could have taken. Like you could have done chemistry, which is hilarious. Yes, um, yes. I ran creative, <laughs> and then you ended up getting completely away from creative and ending in hairdressing. Like that's pretty intense. You yes, know, in the best way for sure. Yes. Well, I actually missed a piece. I actually started doing jewelry design. I created my own jewelry business while I was at the front desk because I needed an outlet to be creative. 
when I started doing hair, I actually wound up doing hair very similarly because when you create jewelry and you're soldering and doing all of this metal work, there's so much detail. And so when I started converting to doing hairdressing, there was so much detail. So I was always a slow foiler, like no matter how hard I tried, it took me forever. I just couldn't get past that detail work. That's just what I loved. Right. And I was like, what do you mean go faster? I'm like, I'm not going to like it. You know, how do I know it's going to be awesome? You know? So anyway, for anyone out there that isn't necessarily a fast foiler, it's okay. <laughs> if you could take one thing away from this episode, it's, it's okay to be not a fast it's okay. foiler. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I want to go back to what you said. As far as I know, in New York, I don't believe you can apprentice. I think you have to go to beauty school. So I want to touch on that because that's I've heard of it, but it's a little unfamiliar to me. So I'm sure it's unfamiliar to other people as well. So you had to do 3000 hours and that was on the job training. Correct. Yeah. Georgia is one of the states. I think there might be another state that does apprenticing, but there's a lot of states that don't allow it. Okay. And, and how long did that take you? Um, I say about a good two years. And were you able to get your hands in right away or was it just looking, no touching? No, I was in. Okay. That's where the trial by fire came Got it. because, um, there were any kind of, so how it went for me was I would stand next to Michael Burton was my mentor. So he, he's been in the business for, oh gosh, so long. And I would mix everyone that came in. So I was mixing every single formula. I was pulling his foils. I was handing him foils, highlight, low light. And it's one of those things where it's so good because you have to spend the time watching so closely so that you can think, oh, he might need this now without him asking. And so it really made you think hard. What is he doing? Where is he going? Why is he doing what he's doing? And then of course he would have a bunch of them come sit in my chair. And so I had to help formulate or I had to without being shown. Right. So you're just doing it. It was a really awesome time. I think the hard part of it, and I think this is probably with a lot of people, whether you're at hair school or whether you're, you are apprenticing is the theory part is hard because for him, he, he had been doing it for so long. He didn't have to think about it or he didn't, he knew what the chemistry was doing. He didn't have to think about it. So if I had questions, it would frustrate him because he wanted to answer, but he just didn't know how. And so I think that can happen a lot. You have people that can do beautiful hair, but they can't express or communicate what they did, why they did it, how they did it so that it transfers to another person. And I think that's the part that kind of gets that's missing sometimes um, in, in that arena. Yeah, I, um, I totally agree with that. A lot of the times, like when I approach somebody um, in the salon that I work at, I handle a lot of the education within the salon. So I'll approach one of my coworkers and I'll say, hey, are you interested in teaching this subject? You really graded it. And they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know how to explain what I'm doing. I'm like, you know what? If you really slow down and think about it, I think you do. It's just that it's such a second nature to us. It's like riding a bike. If you were to have to explain to somebody how to ride a bike after you've been riding one your whole life, you're like, I don't know, you just move your legs or something, right? So yes. knowledge is all inside of our brain and it's just not always coming out. So I think that's really interesting that you said that. Now is for you as the student, was that frustrating you? Yes. And, and it was because not everybody uh, functions this way, but for me, I needed to know why. And here's why. I knew that if I didn't learn it, I would be a slave to someone else's thinking 
no matter where I was. So I had seen another stylist that worked in that same salon who had been there for over 20 years and he couldn't formulate because he was reliant on someone else for so long. And for a while there, he wasn't allowed to. It had to go through this main person. Like it, it was really weird, but he never fought it. And so I saw him 25 years later feeling nervous because he couldn't convert a formula or if there was a new client. And I thought, I don't ever want to be in a position where I have to rely on someone else's thinking to create the art that I see in my brain. Wow. And so, right. So I was looking for freedom. I needed to know why. And also I came from a career prior where we were always digging for deeper understanding. And then I came to the hair business and I thought this was crazy. When I had questions, it was so difficult for me to find the answers. And I thought, how are we supposed to walk away with this master cosmetology degree, but no one's giving me the avenue or the information to find the mastery information. And I thought, this is crazy. But I was also 38 years old. I came from another business, you know, it, so transferring into this industry was really wild. I thought, this is really crazy. This shouldn't be this way. That was literally a catalyst for me and what I do today. That's, that's really crazy. I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of the times in this industry, unfortunately, all the answers are kind of like a secret, right? Like even if someone has it, they don't know if and when they should share it. Or I think, unfortunately, they kind of want you to have to go through all the things that they had to go through to get it. And hopefully that's changing. I'm seeing a lot of changes in this industry and in that type of thinking, but I think it's been like that for too long. And I have a feeling that's kind of what you were approaching. And it's also interesting that you came into the industry at a later age because you had more wisdom, more life experience, and you knew how it could be, right? You weren't just going to accept the first thing they handed you. Oh, no. Yeah, for sure. No. So I became like a heat seeking missile. <laughs> and so they would say like, I've not seen anybody like get that deep about it. And I'm like, I know, but how am I supposed to do this? Right. And do this myself if I don't know why. Or, and, and it's so funny because um, when Michael taught me, he never taught me the underlying pigment chart or the contributing pigment chart. And I remember um, I had a haircutting mentor and a coloring mentor and Michael was my coloring mentor. And then Julie, she trained under Scott Cole years ago um, when he had a salon in Atlanta and she was my cutting mentor. And she said, Hey, well, did you um, hear about the you know contributing pigment chart? And I was like, no, what, what is that? You know, so you thought stylists don't, don't even speak about it. And when she, when she showed me that I went, oh my gosh, there's so much more, you know, and that's so basic and simple. But for yeah. me, I went, there's more. <laughs> you know, <and> I was <laughs> like, Aha! And so I just started digging and asking a lot of questions. So how did you go about getting all of that information? And if it was if it was really hard to find the answers, how did you get it? Because I'm understanding that you had a desire to know it. I understand why you had the desire, but with all these blockages, how did yes. you keep going and keep getting the answers? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like it's kind of like a scavenger hunt, you know, like there are people that say, well, what books should I read? And I'm like, gosh, that's overwhelming for me to answer because there's so many. There is not one book that I got all the answers from, unfortunately, right? I had to like a scavenger hunt. I had to pick pieces up along the way. So here's what I did. Number one, when I had a question that Michael couldn't answer, he would say, go call Brad. Well, Brad was our rep for um, the color company, but he was also a chemist. 
And here's what I knew. Michael was telling me to go to the chemist, go to the people that know, go to the people that know. And so Brad would give me the inside answer, but from a chemist perspective, and I went, there is so much more. And so when I was learning, I didn't learn from a manufacturer's book or the book. I learned how to use the chemistry from Michael. And so when I finally did find a manufacturer's book, I went, wait a minute, what he's doing using the chemistry and what the manufacturer book is showing me, there's some difference here. I was, I was so upset and frustrated. And I remember trying to ask Michael the question and it would frustrate him because he's like, I don't know. And he saw the underlying pigment chart where it showed like that vibrant red that some of them show. He laughed at it. He's like, I've never seen that red in the hair. He was right. <laughs> and he's right. There isn't a vibrant red. So I, I kind of laugh myself when I see these contributing pigment charts with this vibrant red. I'm like, that, that'll never be in the hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. but it was interesting that he said that. So I kept digging again. And so I bumped into, um, as some people might know, Max Cavanaugh. She runs her own Facebook page. And I would kept, I kept watching and watching the questions that would come by and someone would post a book. And one of them was David Valesco. So David's still around. He just retired recently. He had, I don't know if he still has them, but they were books basically saying, this is the information outside of manufacturer's handbook, right? Here's how this stuff works. When I read that, I remember thinking, ah, this is what we're doing in the salon. And so I would ask Michael. And so it was interesting to see that, so what we're doing. And this is exactly what um, David is saying. So I, I kept following that. And then I would hear new things. And I would literally follow a trail of curiosity. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and then someone would say, oh, you need to read this book. So I popped into John Halal's book, uh, Hair Structure and Chemistry Simplified. And I went, aha, you know, like, and so then I hit another one. I think the biggest thing is to stay curious and stay open rather than just going, oh, that's the procedure I'm supposed to do. Go, okay, I get that, but why? Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. And I think just uh, let me know if I'm correct in thinking this. I feel like what you were kind of doing was you had the curiosity and you had the drive to get the answers. So you would get one answer and then you would basically be applying it as time went on to kind of test it out, right? So if X, Y, Z does this, what happens when I do it on a person? And then you would see it and come up with your own conclusion, right? A hundred percent. Yes. But it would always come back to the chemistry. It would, it would answer the yes to the chemistry. The chemistry says this, I do it. And it, oh yes. And that's where that confidence comes in because it's always scary. Like you can learn color theory and then you go, oh, is this really going to work on the head? You know, does this color theory really work? Uh, there was a million times I felt that way. Like, oh my gosh, I know it theoretically, um, but is this going to work? And so you're right. Exactly. I would test everything because I wanted to see, does this work and how does it work? And like, even when I was learning to pull foils for Michael, Michael would say, I want them lifted to this level. So I would have to pull the foils at that level. But if you don't know what that's supposed to look like, right, it's terrifying because if I pull these at the wrong place, all of his work is, is ruined. Yeah. Right. No pressure. And so, um, <laughs> So what I would do at that point is I would take natural hair swatches. And this is what I learned from Michael years ago. It's what I still do today. When you cut someone's hair off and you have enough of it and it's natural or colored, you save it. You put it in a Ziploc and you label it. Is it colored or is it virgin hair? Because it's the best hair to test on. So I would take that natural hair and I would lift it and stop it at the level that I thought was an eight and check myself. 
then I would stop it and see if I, and I would use the level finder um, to see if I, I really hit it. And when I did, I took a picture of it and I kept it on my phone. So when I was on my own and someone wanted to be lifted to be created to a caramel, I would go, okay, so I need to lift them to an eight. What does that look like? I would pull up the photo and say, that's what an eight looks like. Okay, that's what I'm shooting for. Now remember, it's gonna be lighter because it's got lightener on it. Like I would go through these things, but I would set myself up for success uh, in those ways. And, and that has been a huge, um, that was a, one of the major things that helped me when I was first starting because I was terrified to pull foils at the wrong time, you know? Yeah, that's something that I talk to people all the time is, you know, if you're looking for a nine, okay, what do you, what color are you seeing when you open a foil? Because if that foil is orange, you're not at a nine, right? So mm -hmm. understanding that like underlying pigment chart and color theory and all of that, when you're on your day to day is important. I think a lot of people forget that because they're like, well, how do I know what I'm seeing? I'm like, well, what are you seeing? <laughs> There's only several options when you open the foil. What are you seeing? Tell me what you're seeing. And then we're going to check the chart. And I think what you're saying is, so interesting because color theory on its own is kind of like an abstract thought because it's mm -hmm. not tangible. You can't touch it, feel it, right? So you were taking this, this theory that was not tangible and then applying it and then just like housing that information and then continuing and saying, okay, how much more can I push it? Or how much, what happens when this other thing comes into play? Yes, a hundred percent. And like, let's say even now, like I'll do this thing called interval lighting, lightning, and I'll take one swatch, break it up into 10 and I'll lighten it and I will clean it off at 10 minutes. Then the next one, the next 10 minutes, I'll clean it off the next 10 minutes. And so I'm literally watching melanin break down so that I can not only see what is natural underlying pigment look like outside of a color chart that you're given, because those are just estimations. They're not exact. So I could see that and I could feel the hair. When is the hair starting to feel bad, right? And so, um, and it depends on the level, right? If I'm level, lightening someone at a four all the way to a nine, it's gonna feel bad at a, a different place than if I'm lifting a level six to a nine. I may not feel bad, do you know what I mean? And so yeah. not just seeing, but what am I feeling in the hair and what does bad hair feel like? Like we always say, test porosity, do, you know, pull the hair when you're lightening. It's like, but if you don't even know what that feels like, how are you know what you're feeling for? So it's like, create the problem with a hair swatch. Things that scare you, right? If, if you lift hair to a, a level eight and you're trying to make someone a redhead from that and that's scary to you, do it with a swatch. Like I, I always say, whatever scares you, do it behind the scenes before it sits in your chair. And now you're set up for success. So now you gave yourself a visual. This is what it should look like. And if it looks like that, then I probably have to do this because it's not going to work. I love that perspective. And I feel like, I mean, it might just be the algorithm that I'm seeing posts from your page come up, but I feel like recently you've been posting a little bit more of texture oriented issues, right? And that was actually something that I was wondering, like, how do you know other than just knowing, right? Like this innate knowing that we have that we've kind of addressed already. Like, how do you know when you touch a client's hair, what their hair truly can take in terms of lightning, in terms of chemicals? Like how far can you beat up that hair before it falls apart? And so you're kind of saying that you got the hang of that by testing it not on someone's head and really learning what it felt like when it started, what it felt like in the middle. 
Exactly, exactly. And doing it outside the chair. And I think it is hard because we are so busy and our schedules are so crazy that we get home and then we have family life, right? And I get that. So it's like, what can you do at the salon to prep yourself? So like, let's say you are lightening someone's hair. You have hair swatches prepped already. Just put the lightener on while you're already doing the job, right? And so now you've already given yourself an opportunity to, do, to kill two birds with one stone. The lightener's already mixed. You have a client in your hair. You're already working with somebody. You just have an extra swatch. Um, and it's not, it's not excess per se. It's um, just a little bit, <laughs> you know, on the job. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question about the swatches. So when you take care from someone as you're doing a cut, like you said before, how do you bundle it? So oh, like, I love that you asked me that. Question. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? You, yeah, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. No, I totally know what you're saying. It's funny because somebody actually asked me that. So I I made a, a a video and it's on my page. I think it's in the IGTV, but um I will have to pop that up, um, repost that so it will pull it up. Yeah. Please. But um yes, I, I I have some around, but it's the little mini rubber bands and they're the black ones, but they're the really stretchy ones. I hate the ones that don't stretch really well. Um, because you're going to need them to stretch so you can, your, your goal is when you use that rubber band, you want to make it so tight, you can roll the rubber band up and you know that it's, the hair is not going to fall out. If you're washing it, it's going to stay in place. So I literally just keep twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting. So it is important for you to have, I think it's goodies, like literally super inexpensive, yeah. you know, that the black version but not the plasticky ones. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Because they break. You can't twist those suckers. <laughs> just yeah, it wouldn't be like the elastic. It's more like the rubber bands, not the elastic. So, and your, your fingers, if I have to do a lot of them, my fingers get sore because I'm, <laughs> you know, twisting and twisting and twisting. Um, and it, it takes a while. If you're going to do like 10 of them, it takes a hot minute. It's not, you know, you have to invest some time. Yeah. But I figure it's like, are you going to live your life scared? right? For what could pop in your chair that you're not ready for? Or are you going to do something about it? I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, maybe a million years ago when I first started, I thought about like saving swatches and I was always kind of like, I don't even know what I would do with all this hair. So not going to lie. I'm like 13, 14 years into my career. And I don't think I've ever saved someone's swatch. If I want to try something, I try a mannequin and we all know how much that sucks. So yeah, yeah. there's not a whole lot of swatching going on in my life, to be honest. So I love that. The second you yes. said it, I was like, but how do you do that? Yeah. But <laughs> I will tell you this. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I will say this. Um, most of the time when you're cutting off hair, it's mid length to ends, right? And that hair is a really awesome to test lift. I think we're terrified of predicting lift because we don't know what it looks like. Use that as an opportunity. You can't test lift on a mannequin head. It's chemically treated. You cannot lift for, you know, root, root hair. You know, you can't do that. Now, because it's hardened hair, you just have to remember if I put a 20 volume on it, it's not going to look exactly the same. So let's say if I'm going to typically use a 20 volume at the scalp, I'll use 30 on that mid length to end. So it'll at least give me a little bit of a better idea of what the root could look like. I Got hope it. that makes sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're talking because of different textures within the hair, but also body heat. Well, I don't say body heat. I say soft keratinized hair. So the okay. first um, quarter to a half an inch of hair is soft so that the keratin hasn't hardened yet. And so, right. Those are the roots. That's where we get hot roots and, and whatnot. They process faster 
because it's soft. It's like baby hair, right? And then after that, we always say it's the cold shaft or whatever. It's the cold shaft is hardened keratin. And so it's going to react to the chemicals differently. I've actually never heard it put that way. And I feel like that sounds and feels a lot better than just thinking of the heat. Yes. Now people have arguments one way or the other. And the reality for me is it doesn't matter to me if you believe it's body heat or soft keratin. It doesn't matter to me. As long as you know it's going to happen and what to do to make sure it doesn't happen, to me, that's the the main point. Yeah. Thank you for that. I that's that's super interesting. So are you still behind the chair? No. So in 2020, after COVID and I went back to the salon, I decided to go part-time, part-time educating and part-time behind the chair. And then 2020, 100% education. With education, that's your business that you run. Exactly. So Colors with Chemistry, it's full-time education. It's it's, um, non-branded. So whatever brand you use, it's fine. We just want you to know what it is, what you're using, learn how to use it really well, whatever you choose to use. I also educate with Matrix on um, the national training team. So I do focus on um, helping the new educators learn how to communicate so that they can serve everyone that they're working with. So I get to do a lot of things kind of behind the scenes, which I love. And I do miss the creative part sometimes. I miss the connection. I miss the teammates. I miss that. I don't miss standing behind the chair. It was never a love of mine. I, I, you know, some people think I'm crazy, but I would watch people who literally loved it. And I thought that's just not me. I love what hair does. I love what color does, but everybody knows it's not just about that. There is a business side. There's a time management side. There's so much more. And um, after a while, I just got tired of that. So I was like, what is my forte? What am I really good at? What do I really love to do? Let me do that for a while. So that's what I'm doing. And that's what brought you here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so going back to how you learned color theory, obviously things are a little bit of a different ball game now. And bouncing off of what you just said, clearly you are making a business out of teaching other stylists all the color theory that you know, but what do you think is the best advice that you can give to someone who's just starting out, who is maybe listening to this, or maybe just has a brain like you do, who is dying to know more, let's say they didn't know that you existed. What would be Mm -hmm. the advice right now for them to go about learning as much as they possibly could about color theory and chemistry? Okay. So that's a great question. Um, So when it comes to color theory, I think, I remember one of my mentors showed me the Munsell color chart. It's that 3D color sphere. And he, I remember he said to me, um, you don't use the flat color wheel. You use this 3D color sphere. And it struck my curiosity, of course, right? Because that's just who I am. And so he would explain, this is hue, this is value, this is saturation. But I didn't understand how that pertained to what we did. So I understood it was a thing, but I couldn't put it together. So I had to go outside of our industry because I couldn't find it in the industry to help explain what that was. Then I had to put it back to the industry and look at what we use. And I studied and learned the chemistry from Dennis Gebhardt. And when I understood that, and then I put the color theory together, I went, oh, this is how that works with our color medium. 
because what we have obviously is chemical dye. It's not paint, it's not watercolor. It's, you know, so understanding those two parts. Um, and another question he said to me, he said, well, why is the sky blue? And I went, I have no idea. So of course my curiosity um, led me to, to dive deeper. And I went, there's so much more to this color theory and how it fits with what we do. So I just dove a lot outside of our business because I always thought how interesting that we use this every day. We, we, we know some parts of it. We just don't realize we're using it. So we know in, instinctually, right? If something is vibrant, what it's going to do versus something that's more muted, but we don't know the foundational parts to be able to think through all of those pieces all the time. So unfortunately it isn't in our business. And I thought, you know, this is crazy. You got the graphic design world, you got the paint world. They all know this stuff, but we still work with a flat color wheel. But yeah, what we use behind the chair is not pure color. You know, I just thought, again, this is crazy. And so, um, again, I just studied a lot of art theory outside and then I brought it inside. How does this fit? How does this work? And what doesn't work? Because some of it doesn't like, I, I loved how you said in the beginning, before we started, you, you did art, right? Didn't you do art? So you understand art and painting. And you also said you understand there's differences in it. So learning learning it so well you could figure out what does fit and what doesn't fit you know what but let me add this because i probably went way over if you're new learn the flat color wheel first learn it like the back of your hand and then once you have that and you understand what it is like if i have uh, an orange color what do i need to complement it if i have violet what do i complement the violet what learn that so well it is like the back of your hand and then then move on to the 3D color sphere. Don't go there until you have the basic color wheel down. Yeah. But don't stop, don't stop there. So building your foundation. So not jumping to the third story of a building, starting with the basement and the foundation. Yes. Well, it's interesting too, because um, I love how you said that. And I, I, I say this a lot, like if you're gonna do pre-calculus, you can't do pre-calculus unless you took addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, right? Like don't just jump into pre-calc and like, I'll post something that is very simplified, right? Because for me, I'm like, I need to meet you where you are, right? It doesn't matter what I know. If I can't bring you with me, what's the point, right? So if I start and do this very simplified visual, just to pique your interest, there's something more, then I can pull you with me, right? And be like, all right, so let's go to addition. All right, let's go to subtraction. But then you have people that are at pre-calculus and they hate some of the simple visuals because they're like, well, that's not the end of the story. And I'm like, I know it's not, but you can't get somebody to you unless you've brought them to addition, subtract. Like, don't forget, right? You got to meet people where they're at. And so when I do create these simple visuals, like I'm thinking in my mind, what do they need to get them to the next piece that will then get them to the next piece? And I don't know why my brain works that way, but it does. It's like, where's the order? Let me give them the order. I don't know if that makes sense or if you've noticed that on the page, but that's kind of where we focus our effort. Um, I think it's a great thing that your brain works that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and thousands of other people are going to thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that's a really solid point is to meet people where they are. And I'm kind of one of those people that I'm usually past, you know, the, the basic knowledge and I'm like, okay, okay. I don't want to hear this again, but you're so right. Because how many people in the room on the page or wherever it is 
really need to start with the the beginning first. And while you were talking, I thought of something that I see that happens in the salon frequently, which is maybe people have a color background. Maybe they don't, you know, like such as like how you were saying that I had said that I went to art school. I dealt with color theory and painting for the entire first year of school. I went to the school of visual arts. So it was like, I remember my painting teacher was like, okay, paint a canvas blue. Okay. Now paint a canvas red and then put a blue square on it and see what happens. And that was my homework every single week. I can't help but understand color theory from a visual sense. But what I do find is that for most stylists that I know, they have a basic understanding of color theory. But now we've taken this this idea and made it even more abstract by putting chemistry into it, chemicals, putting it on hair, which is even more abstract, and then knowing what the end result is going to look like. And I've seen people struggle so much with understanding that so well that they now can't understand vivids. They can't oh. understand direct dye anymore. They're like, but yes. I don't understand, Simone, how did you get purple? And I'm like, girl, what makes up purple? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, you do know. <laughs> and like, Once you take the underlying pigment out, right? If you've lightened something so light that there's no more underlying pigment, like you're just dealing with paint. And like, yes. I find that so many stylists have such a hard time going back to that place. We started in that place. We surpassed it. And now so many people can't get back. Like they can't wrap their head around it. Like, how do I make a bright orange? I'm like, what? Like so many people. So, I mean, do you have any advice on that? I know it's like kind of a crazy topic, but like how to help people who have forgotten how to mix Mm -hmm. paint get back to that? And that is literally a basic color theory class. If I mix one color with another color, what's going to happen to the level? If I, is it, what's vibrancy? If I mix two, am I going to get the vibrancy? That is art theory, right? Which we don't cover in the hair world. We're so focused on oxidative color, but it's interesting that you say that because I've had a lot of young girls come out of hair school. And right now, because the focus was so much on highlighting and foliage and, and whatnot, they don't know how to formulate for gray hair. So whatever the focus is, you're missing other pieces, right? And so like, let's talk about perming, like who's going to know how to perm hair? You know, it's like what we don't work on. And so people do get in this place of oxidative world, but it is hard to shift back. But if you can understand color theory and chemical theory, you can shift back and forth. But I also think, again, our industry doesn't go beyond red, yellow, blue color wheel. And everyone would say, know the color wheel like the back of your hand. And I go, that's just the beginning. Like, know the color wheel by the back of your, like the back of your hand and you're going to be fine. I'm like, no, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. They'll be at the beginning of being okay. But that's not the end. So we have a lot of stylists come to our class going, I can't figure out why this isn't working. And I'm like, well, let's give you the deeper part. And they go, oh. And then it makes more sense. Now they can have more control more power because they've got this really strong solid foundation um, that helps them think through anything whether they're working with vivids or they're working with oxidative color yeah and and it's important too to know the difference we we even have stylists that really struggle with knowing the difference between a color category what's semi what's demi what's alkaline what's acidic those are basics right that we don't get taught enough 
but it's like, you have to even know that, right? So when I say study the basics, study the basics of color theory, but also study the basics of the chemistry too, right? Yeah. Start, start there. We should all understand the pH scale, right. but we don't all do that. You know, those are the basics. So for me, like when it comes to the chemistry side, it's like the basic pH chart, the basic color wheel. Now what's the next piece? Now what's the next piece? And just build. Yeah. And uh, so that's interesting that you just mentioned pH because I did have a question, which is going to sound very basic. Like we can expand on the question, but I want to know if you can talk a little bit about the importance of pH and why we really should all understand that a little bit more from the get-go. Um, like the difference between the pH of the hair, the pH of the water, what toning or glazing does to it. How important is it for every hair colorist or hairstylist who's touching hair on a daily basis to understand the pH of what they're doing? Well, um, I, I kind of liken it to this. The pH is like our ability to get inside the hair or not. And the higher we go in the hair, in the pH, the more swell we're going to get. So the deeper we're able to reach, right? And so I need to know, is my acidic demi ability to swell? Does it have any ability to swell? Yes or no. If it doesn't, then that tells me where the dye is going to live in the hair. Okay, now I have an alkaline demi. Now that's a little bit higher on the pH scale. So I'm going to get more swell, which now means I might have possible shift, right? So the higher we go, the more swell we're going to get, the more lift we're going to get, and the deeper the deposit. So I need to know with whatever I've got in my hands, am I going to get lift? How much swell is happening? And where is the dye going to live, right? That makes sense for longevity. That makes sense for the health of the hair, all of those things. Even understanding how magnets work, positive and negative charge, that is everything that we do in pH behind the chair. So those little things that seem like, man, that's so boring. It's like, oh my gosh, no, it's like, it is the building blocks. Yeah. Right. It's the building blocks. Yeah. The opposite of boring, essentially. Yeah. It's boring when it doesn't go along with what you do. Right. It's like, well, who wants to learn about chemistry? But if I can learn, let's say take the word chemistry out of there. How can I, how can I learn how this stuff works so I can be in control? So I don't have to fear I think a lot of stylists live there. What do they say about the amount of stylists that have anxiety, right? That are behind the chair. There's so much anxiety. I wonder if part of that is because we don't have the educational foundation that we needed, right? So now you're going, I don't know what this is going to do. And then you, you get it by experience, by boo-boos, right? But it's like, could you cut those boo-boos in half and the anxiety in half? If you just learned a little bit more about the chemistry, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you could. Do you think that goes in line with knowing the rules to break the rules? Okay. So yeah, I don't break chemistry rules, right? I learned the chemistry so I can use the chemistry, if that makes sense. And so like, let's say you have a manufacturer's guide and they're going to say, use this volume with this. Like that guide is there because they need to make sure that at least 95% of the people that touch their product are going to have success. So they're going to put boundaries on those, which is healthy, specifically when you're new, you follow those until you understand them. And when you understand how to use the chemistry, then you can use the chemistry to get the job done. But I don't break the rules of chemistry. I don't put Coke in my lightener. I don't put sweet and low in my lightener. Like I don't do that. Partly too, because I've had great conversations with chemists 
So I understand what it takes for them to put the information into reactive chemicals that go on someone's head. And we go over here, like we put Diet Coke in it, like we know what we're doing. Like it appalls them because it scares them. Learning how lightener works and reactive lightener on the head. I remember one chemist saying it took her years to understand it after she learned the hair color part. It's so much more complex than we think. And we're like, oh, we're just doing this to the pH. It's like, well, are you? Yeah. Yeah. I always say that hairdressers tend to think that like they're the chemists, like we're just throwing a bunch of things in a bowl and we feel like chemists, but we're not right. And, um, the color company that we work with at the salon, I'll tell people the rules of the product. And then I tell them that if they know why the rules are the rules and they know what will happen if they change those rules of the product, then it's okay. As long as they know what they're doing. But I, I totally get what you just said is that you don't break the rules of chemistry by any means because it is what it is. Like I tell them, these rules are in place because it's going to make the product predictable. And if you change those rules and something unpredictable happens, it's not the product, it's you. Mm-hmm. And there's danger in that, right? Um, I think there's this big game of telephone that happens in our business. You know, so-and-so said so-and-so, my mentor said, so it's, it's like, so we do, um, but it can get scary if you're not careful, you know? People forget that we're actually using chemicals. Yes. Okay. So you said something I thought was really brilliant because I do think um, because people demean our industry so much, oh, you're just a hairdresser. I think sometimes we grasp onto things like I'm a chemist because I work with chemistry, like anything to make ourselves feel really good that we are worth it and we are smart and we are. I mean, I have a college degree. Doing hair is much harder than the things I studied in college. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, yes, we are. And what we do is important, but we are not chemists. We work with chemistry. We are stylists who work with art using chemistry. We are not chemists. And I say that because I have the opportunity to speak to some chemists and what they know and what they say is literally other world, right? And so I, I... I hear what every hairdresser is saying when they say I'm a chemist, I hear them, but I'm like, that's not it. You are an amazing stylist that knows their chemistry, which means you are smart. Right. And there's no need to have to validate that you are because you're a hairdresser. Unfortunately, our culture doesn't validate it so much, but I do think things are changing in our business. I think what I have noticed is the young ones coming out of hair school and they're not okay with you saying, just put this on the hair. They want to know why. Yes. And I'm so proud of that because I feel like they're pushing our industry to go deeper and to have to give more chemistry because of their desire to know why. So if you're young and you want to know why, I think it's brilliant and to keep pushing for it. Yeah. Like this is the time. This is the time yes. to know why, because the answers are going to come. They are going to come. Yes. And it's pushing the educators to really get it. Right. And so it's like, you are driving almost like, you know, when a bond builder came out, one, one company did it, then it pushed it so much that everybody wound up coming out with it. It's like, you know what you push the need for the why, and they will wind up having to give it to you because you're pushing so hard. And that's wild that you just said bond builder, because I swear I was looking down at the list of questions that I had, and I was about to ask you about bond builders. Oh, that's so, so funny. Get out of my head, please. Um, <laughs> so I do want to know, I don't know if I've ever seen you post about bond builders, but what are your thoughts on them in general? 
I think they're a really big help for us so that we don't do more damage than we should. So if someone were to say, would you, would you use a bond builder? Absolutely. If there's an opportunity for me to do a little bit more protection, 100%, I would. Personally, with learning the signs, I don't think that we are putting back together things that have been broken that we can't fix. Um, so I think we have to be cautious, right? I think we're not as bad as we were in the beginning. Like when we first started using it, it was like, oh, we pushed hair past its limit thinking it was going to protect it. And I think people have gotten wiser over time. And it's like, okay, this is a nice protection. And absolutely, we should use them. They're fabulous. But I'm not breaking and then putting back together. That's how I feel about them. I'm just learning the science a little bit more. So I'll just leave it at that. But would I use them 100%? So basically, it sounds like you don't think that they're hundred percent necessary, but they're also not a bad thing to have like a bad, um, tool to have in your toolbox. I wouldn't say, I don't think it's necessary. I think any time that we can protect the hair from getting excess damage, absolutely. I think we should use it. I think it's silly not to use something that could help break more than what we need to break. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's silly not to try and use that. So it's kind of like, um, you know, when doctors sign, they do no harm, you know, I think our job is what can we do to create this beautiful color with as little damage as possible, because we don't just color here the one time we have to do it over and over. Right. So what can we do to protect it? So I think it's silly not to use something that could help, um, buffer some of that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think I'll, there's a lot of confusion around bond builders and for sure what you said before about people were pushing it past the limit and then trying to kind of fix their mistakes. It's like, well, once, once whatever you just did is out of the hair, the hair is still going to feel terrible. And then who's to blame. And I think there were a lot of stylists who didn't really know what they did or why who were saying to clients, oh, you must've done something, but truly it was us for a long time. Um, yes. It wasn't the band-aid to allow us to do bad things at all. No, it's more like, let me do less harm than I normally would. Right. Like further protect, further condition, all that stuff. Whatever you can do. Of course. Yeah. It's like, why would I go to 30 volume if I could go to 20? Right. It's the same thinking, right? What can I do to get the job done with as little damage as possible? That's the way my brain works. Yeah. And since you just said that about the developers, I think you made some posts about this as well recently. It was like the, the boiling water, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, So is the theory behind it, let's talk about um, with lighteners. So the theory behind it is that if you use 40 volume or if you use 10 volume, both of them should essentially get you to the same place, but one is quicker and does more like explosive movements and one is slower. Correct. Correct. And that's specifically with lightener. It's different with hair color, right? So imagine you had as much time in the world for this um, peroxide or hydrogen or developer to release the oxygen that was available to it, right? So it's a little bit of a different story with hair color. You don't have that same lot, however long time. You're limited in how much is going to be let loose or, or activated. So, but with lightener, it will just go on for a long time. And so that 40 volume will come out explosive and then slow down. The 10 will just keep going like, do, 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 you know, for the, you know, like it's slow and steady. Right. So it will literally go slow and steady the whole time. 
and then 40 volume will just shoot out like a cannon and then slow down over time. So when it comes to lightener, it is timing, not the same with hair color. Got it. And then another question that I have, which I think we see all over Instagram and we've been seeing it for a million years is when people post their formulas, right? I Mm. see a lot of the time with glazes, glosses, toners, whatever we want to call it. They're like, this is how you get sandy blondes. And this is my favorite formula for that. And there's obviously the people who are out there saying, well, you don't know what canvas that was put on. You don't know what that was lifted to. You don't know the history of that hair. There are the people saying those things, but what advice can you give to people, especially the baby stylists that are just starting out to take those formulas, like with a grain of salt, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What advice can you give about seeing those formulas out there? That's a good question. So I, again, it literally goes back to color theory for me. Like when I see someone post a formula, I have no problem with people posting formulas, but what I try to do is mentally map the formula on the color wheel so that I can actually work the color theory. Okay. So she used this that lives around here in the color wheel. The hair was about here on the color wheel. So that's probably why she got here. It's all based in color theory, right? Because I can't say, like, let's say she uses a V in her line. The V in my line is not going to be the same color. So I can't use her formula. It's not just about the hair. It's about what color is in the tube, right? And so um, when I'm thinking that way, I go, okay, how can I then convert it to what I'm using? But I have to know my line well enough to know how even to do that. Like I see someone doing, she does a ton of red. She does beautiful, brilliant reds. Today, I took three um, level seven copper coppers from three different lines and I swatched them all out. And one of them was hers. And I went, ah, this is why she boosts with extra copper because I could see it and I could compare it to the other two. And I go, whoa, those are all three different color coppers, right? But now when I see it, I can map it on the color wheel and I go, oh, that's where her copper lives. And that's where this copper lives. And so that's why she adds extra copper and she doesn't. Mm. It's all based in color theory. Got it. So really when someone sees one of those formulas, obviously we have to consider where was that hair before they put it on it, but not necessarily what colors did they use? What colors were they called? But what colors were they actually? Yes, what is actually in that tube, right? So like um, I've done a couple before where I swatched them out, like here's an 8V in one line and here's an 8V in another line. So 8V in one line could be very gray with a little bit of violet and 8V could be very violet. So it's almost like saying, oh, um, her hair was yellow. Well, was it canary yellow? Was it green yellow? Like what yellow? Yellow is very broad. Violet is very broad right? So when you're young in the business, again, just the basic color wheel, get started there. Don't go as deep as I'm going. But once you know that, then you can say what kind of violet, right? What, what kind of yellow? So, um, because it can be very overwhelming when you're starting, especially if you're hearing me talk about all the stuff, you're like, Oh my God, I don't even want to start (laughs) with the basic color wheel. I know yellow. Then when you got it, okay, what kind of yellow? Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. So it's step by step, little baby pieces at a time. Yeah. Is that similar to like when someone says inside of the banana versus outside of the banana? Right. Like the they're both yellow. Yellow. The outside is the canary yellow. 
Yes, exactly. So yeah, so yellow is a very broad. So, but here's what I would say too. Like if you're starting and you don't know how to identify a color very clearly and all that, you can have color success with broad definitions. So I don't want people to feel like I can't have success. You can, you will have a harder time hitting the target consistently if you don't eventually get to the point where you can nail that color yellow. Does that make sense? So you can hit it around the target, get really close, but after a while that gets old when you look at the hair and you go, man, that didn't turn out what I what I saw in my head. So to get it like you see in your head, that's where you gotta hone in. Hone in on identifying the color that's in the hair really and what's really in your tube. And then you can hit the nail on the head. Got it. And uh, I feel like I keep saying one more thing because you you talk and something else comes up and I can't help yeah, myself because yeah. I have you here. Yeah. Lucky well, me. I'm enjoying the conversation, so no worries. <laughs> lucky me and I guess lucky everyone else that's listening. But, you know, I took a class recently on a product line and they were talking about the underlying pigments. And for the first time ever, I heard someone say that it was at the darker levels. I want to say it was probably like a two or a three that the underlying pigment is violet. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, okay. So there's a lot of things that I think sometimes we say, I think it's just to help us understand basic concepts, but is the underlying pigment of hair truly violet? No, you're not going to yeah. see that. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes, again, it's like, you got to start at the beginning. Sometimes, like, even when I started in the beginning, looking at the color wheel, looking at blue and going, oh, that's where level one is, level two, level three, level four, now level five is out of red. That helped me grasp concepts, right? But after a while, you go, I'm not seeing that red in the hair. Hair doesn't, natural hair doesn't lift like that. So then you can move forward and move further, but you can't do that without basic concepts. Like even on my page, a lot of times I'll say, I know a lot of times when we decipher level, we'll say, oh, that's yellow. That's a level nine. And I'm like, but level is not color. It is not color. We use color to, to like an indicator. But if you stick there, what happens when the mint green sits in your chair and you don't know how to find the level because you forgot what level was because you based it on a color, hmm. right? But you have to start somewhere. So it's okay in the beginning to say nine is yellow, 10 is pale. Those are good, but you have to go deeper and go, what, what is level really? And what am I really looking for? So when that copper sits in the chair or the mint green or the pink, I'm not stuck. And you got to still figure out that level, right? Is that where the sphere comes into play? That is a huge part of it for sure. But even understanding the concept of what level is, right? But you have to understand the physics of how we see color, the basic, not physics, not like deep, crazy science, like the basics. How do we even see color? Okay. Well, the more melanin is in there, when the light comes down, it's going to absorb and subtract more light. So less light is going to hit your eye deeper level. Lighter level. Oh, there's not as much pigment in there. So when the light comes down to hit it, more is going to bounce off and reflect to my eye. So now it's a lighter level, right? So then you get this concept of what level is light to dark. That's what it's telling you. How much light is hitting your eye? It's like fascinating. Yes, it's so cool. (laughs) But again, but again, like this is overwhelming. This is overwhelming for the newbie, right? Yeah. So, and, and I get that. So when you're new, start with the basics. You can build up to that, 
So you're understanding, but it is building blocks like Legos, right? You have to start somewhere. And going back to the thing that I said about the violet, which I'm not going to lie, created the biggest eye roll from me. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, I was like, okay, <laughs> so I don't know why I'm here anymore. Um, but don't you think, and maybe this is just my opinion, maybe I'm biased here. I did say before, I'm just starting from a different point. So I understand that not everybody is starting from there. But don't you think that it would be an easier concept for people to follow if people just made it really simple and said that there's either going to be orange or yellow in the hair or a combination of both. Why Uh are you throwing other colors in there? Why are people saying it's the darkest red or it's violet? I think it's like, again, simplification. What can we do to simplify it? So a hairdresser will get it who lives in this visual world. Right. And so I do think we do a disservice sometimes. Like some of those contributing pigment charts are are silly. (laughs) what is that? Like that, you're never going to see that. There's so many people grabbing green. Mm -hmm. There's no red. No, but it will appear as red when it's very dense. Right. And so you're right. There is no red. It just visually appears red, but at the same time, green has blue and yellow, right? So you're going to have more reflect happening than if you used an ash. I love ash, but ash, because it has almost not all color lines, but a lot of color lines have gray as the background with your ash and it flattens everything it's smoky it will flatten and so there's a place for it but then maybe there's a place for green too so you can use it and not flatten it's kind of like that mid ash is the deepest in terms of that cooling ability then you got green and then you've got violet so maybe that green is good for something even though there's no red in the hair yeah okay but i love what you're saying right and i will say this I don't know any educator that's out there going, let me tell people stupid stuff or bad stuff (laughs) or, you know what I mean? Like, I think any, any educator that I know their deep desire is to do the best they can to pass on. The problem for me is that we are not giving the educators the information they are desperately seeking. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So it's not like they're not seeking. They want to know. I've had educators that have told me I have gone to this company time and time again, asking this question, I cannot get the answer. And so there, I know a lot of them are desperately searching. We have educators that come to our non-branded education because they want to learn outside of the brand so that they feel like they can get the whole picture rather than this one piece. I don't know if that makes sense. So they feel like they're missing a piece and they want the bigger picture. So there are educators really desperately looking. Sometimes they're not always, they don't always have access. Yeah, got it. And so branching off of that, if someone comes um, to you, to you guys, looking to expand this crazy world of all of this knowledge, what are they going to find when they come to you? What kind of options do you have, courses or things like that? Well, we, um, we start people, there's a two pre-recorded classes specifically for young ones or people, even if you're older in the business and you've never focused on the theory side, like let's say you're just very practical, right? You like to learn practically. We've had women that are 30 years in that when I never learned about the pH scale, right? Ain't no shame in that game. The fact that you want to learn, that's huge, right? So we do the pre-recorded because they're about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. They're 90 days. So you can take it at your pace. There's a couple of quizzes and just check yourself. What am I hearing? Am I capturing it? 
And it's like dipping your toe in the water of what it's like to be in a class with us. So you can say, what kind of education is coming my way? What's the environment like? So we always tell people to start there and then it'll give them an idea. Um, but when we do start, we have three courses that we do like a series and they're, they're based on what, what kind of foundation can we give you so that no matter what line you're using, you're equipped to, to come back to your, I call it solid ground, your foundation. You know, when the crap hits the fan at the salon, come back to this, your center, your anchor. So the first class is foundations of color theory. So we teach about color theory across the board, whether you're a colorist, a painter, a graphic designer, color theory is color theory, but we teach you about your color medium, hair color. Now, how does hair color fit into color theory, right? Like, or how do we fit them together? Because this medium that we're using is not paint unless you're using semi, right? So there's these nuances with both. So we try to ground you in that. And so in my mind, I think, well, let's say when we're talking about formulating lift and deposit, the foundations of color theory focuses on the deposit, if that makes sense. Yes. And so the second class is the chemistry of color. So we focus on what, what bonds are breaking, what's pH, how does it affect the hair? How do you read the chart? We focus on developers. What are they? What do they do? What's the difference in the volumes? How does that affect my outcome? We talk about alkalizer. This one is always the one that throws people because we don't talk about them a lot, but they're a huge part in that lifting process. So what is it? What does it do? And what's the difference? Then we talk about um, color categories. What's the difference between an acidic, a demi, a permanent? And then we finish with the two main ways that you can predict your lift. How to use the chemistry, two different ways so that you can get an outcome that you're looking for. So that's the, when I think about lift and deposit, that's focusing on how do I control my lift? And then the last one is putting all the puzzle pieces together to formulate on purpose. How do I take that information and walk through what's your, you know, where are you starting, where are you going, all of those things. How do I take that information and how do I plug it in and yeah. use it? What to do with it? What to do with what do I, yeah. I just learned? Yeah, exactly. What do I do with this? And, and could, can I be in control of my lift or am I just stuck? Right. Yeah. And do you think that people walk away from your class with any brain cells left? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, we try to keep it as simple as possible, like usable, right? Like I don't want to just throw out information that's unusable. Like, I don't want to teach you how we see color just because now, you, so you can know how you do it. It's like, no, I need to know how to see color. So I know how that fits into what I do. Right. Like, right. So our goal is like, how do we put it in a way where we're going to give you what you need to use what you have. But we also do a private Facebook page because it is a lot of information. And we always tell everybody, there's no way you're going to process all of this and walk away and know exactly what to do. Yeah. I, can see I mean, that. we don't do that with driving. We don't do that with anything in our lives, yeah. right? Like you, someone doesn't teach you how to cut a one length bob and now you're going to do it. You right. have to practice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, we have a private Facebook group that you can jump into. You just have to take one live class with us. I don't care if you take all three or so you are in the group. You ask all the questions that you want and it's a really supportive place and people come from all different brands, which is fun. Um, so you can be like, oh, that's what their eight B does. And you know, yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I will say as someone who works with only one color line, it does make it very hard for me to take classes outside of the color line 
because most classes are teaching formulas as well as techniques. And I'm mm-hmm. not, and I'm usually not interested, right? So I think it's yeah. nice that you could go somewhere and learn something that's not brand specific and can apply to all learners. Yeah. But coming from this perspective, because I'm with you, um, a friend, a good friend of mine, Lenny Strand, he always talks about it. We're not creating formulations. We're, we're, we are creating formulators, right? I want you to be a formulator. I don't want you to take formulations. And so, um, but I love looking at someone's formula and knowing color theory in my mind, I can literally map out why they might've made the choice that they made. Got it. Right. So those are good. Formulas are good for that. Got it. And then I can go, what, what could I use in my line that might create that kind of outcome? Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Cause I doubt I'm the only one who is thinking <laughs> in terms of that. You're- you're not the only one. And, and, and you have other people that get mad that they don't get formulations because they don't know where to start. Mm. Right. And so they like, give me something so I can start somewhere, but then you've got people going, this is silly. I can't use this. It just depends on where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. All right. So this is a ton of information. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm going to give you a break because we could talk all day for sure. And I want to end this conversation on three questions. The first question, which I ask everybody is how do you take your coffee? It's an easy one. Oh, okay. So Americano with light, heavy cream. Nice. You know, the episode, the, the uh, podcast is coffee and foils. So we have to, we have to I love coffee, you know, yeah, so literally like I cannot record. It just feels sacrilegious without my coffee. I can't love it. <laughs> I love that. And um, can you let us know the worst experience you ever had behind the chair? I know that sounds negative, but we're going to end it a lot better than that. Um, Okay. So I would say the worst experience, it's kind of a handful, but when we were converting a color line, I had to rely on someone else. And when I had to rely on someone else for the formulations and the formulations didn't turn out the way I wanted them to, it was like, that was the worst time for me. But then, you know, it was bad because I started blaming other people. And then I like literally had to look in the mirror and go, the reason I have to ask her is because I don't know. Yeah. So I can't get mad at her. I had to put the mirror on myself. And so that's kind of where change happens, right? Yeah. And that's definitely, I mean, listening to you speak, I think that's really true to who you are is mm. not just settling for, oh, this person said to do this thing and it came out this way and it's not great, but it's fine. Um, no, I can't, I, yeah. I can't do I love it. That you've always been who you are. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and last question, I know you've already given a ton of advice. There's so many little, little things that I think that people can pull out of this episode, but if you were to give one piece of advice, only one to someone just starting out in this industry, what would it be? Enjoy the journey. I, I heard it so many times that I didn't understand that. I put so much, so much pressure on myself to get to the next state and the next piece Then I look back and I go, man, that was really enjoyable when I learned, although it was hard and that was a really good time in my career, right? There was, there was no pressure to really know what you were doing. You know yeah. what I mean? So that it almost <laughs> kind of opened it up a little bit. Like they didn't expect you to know. Now I'm at a place where people expect me to know and the pressure is different, right? And so it's a little bit more joyful when you're like, 
I'm just learning. Yeah. <laughs> so you can enjoy it a little bit more, right? I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. enjoy the journey. If you can just enjoy it. Yeah. It's so it's like not rushing to grow up or, you know, the advice that everybody always tells moms, which is like, you'll miss this time. It's the good day. (laughs) But I I think there's something to be said about that because that kind of advice stretches all, all different fields of life. So I think that's really powerful. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. So um, again, I literally cannot thank you enough. This has been like mind blowing. I myself am definitely going to listen to this episode probably um, 28 times. Um, So uh, before, before we completely wrap up and I will put Mm -hmm. all this information in the show notes, but please let everybody know the best way to find you, the best way to contact you if they have any questions and yeah, sure. I spend most of my time on Instagram. Um, So I'm at colors with chemistry. And then, um, of course, we have a website. It's colorswithchemistry at gmail.com. Is that, no, that's my, is that my email, email or email. my website? Email. Yeah, okay. <laughs> colorswithchemistry.com. Yeah, I was confused. Colorswithchemistry.com is the website. Colorswithchemistry at gmail um, is how you can actually reach us too. So, yeah. Right. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really hope that, I mean, there's no way that this wasn't helpful. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed this conversation with you. It's been a pleasure. Me too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you again for listening to the Coffee and Foils podcast. If you loved what you heard and want more, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and most importantly, share. As always, follow me for podcast updates at Coffee and Foils podcast on Instagram and DM me with any ideas you may have. Thank you, and I'll see you next Monday.